0: Christmas and welcome to the Games Rig. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and like Games Master himself, I have the biggest sack of all. And making like Donna and Blitzen, I am Ash Versus. This is our festive Christmas special in the middle of June. This was recorded. Requ- This episode aired on the 24th of December, 1992. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is still top of the charts, but we have a new film at the top of the UK box office. It's Muppet Christmas
2: Carol. Uh, He was the greediest man alive.
1: It's Ebenezer Scrooge.
2: Until the night he met someone extraordinary. Hello. The Muppet Christmas Carol. Mr. Scrooge, even though he is odious, <laughs> stingy, mm-hmm. and badly dressed. <gasps> Humbug.
1: oh there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grin.
3: Do you think it's safe for us to be up here? <laughs> if they
1: gave a prize for being mean, the
2: winner would be him. Yes, Mr. Cratchit.
4: If you please, Mr. Scrooge, any bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra
2: shovel full of coal for the fire.
1: Where are such eh? a
2: how would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly.
1: Alan Floyd! We
5: are festive as f. And yeah, it's Christmas in June. And as we kind of hinted at last week, I really wish it was Christmas right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just, right. just let's just get this year over with, please. <laughs> oh, man. I love Muppet's Christmas Carol. So I have for the last five six six maybe seven years every year uh go to the prince charles cinema for a muppet's christmas carol sing-along because my birthday is in december i'm a december baby uh, as we have noted on this podcast already and yeah so i go to the prince charles cinema every single year for muppet christmas carol sometimes even on the day of my actual birthday and my wife is quite tolerable of this little lover I have for Muppet Christmas Carol, but she doesn't love it to the same degree that I do, but yet I do drag her every single year to go watch Muppet Christmas Carol and do the big sing-along. And this year that's just gone, so my birthday in 2019, I took my whole family. My mum and dad wanted to go, so they went. My brother and his girlfriend went. My father and mother-in-law came. Everyone went to the Prince Gel Cinema for a big Muppet Christmas Carol sing-along, and it was brilliant.
5: I've never been to one of the PCC's Muppet Christmas Carol sing-alongs. I've been to some of their other sing-along and musical events, but I did see both of the recent Muppet movies at the PCC at preview screenings. Oh wow! And that that was great. That was great. I'm. I, I went by myself, and I'm not ashamed to say that in the first The Muppets movie that uh, they released, I got a little misty-eyed at the Rainbow Connection.
0: Oh, uh, oh every single time that song starts, I get misty-eyed. It's ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? yeah that's a really good kermit (laughs) voice well done thanks man thank you
5: (laughs) that's all the years
0: going to the muppet christmas carol (laughs) sing-along that's uh, paying off yeah i mean it should also be noted that when i do go to the muppet christmas carol sing-along i do do the voices in various different iterations particularly like my favorite one is to do scrooge (laughs) at the start because when a cold wind blows it chills you chills you to the bone but there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone and you could just go up and down all over the show my wife hates it I'll be honest, Sod Games Master,
5: let's just get a one-man <laughs> rendition of Muppet Christmas Carol and put that out, because that'd be great. This movie is amazing. Uh, it was a real return to form to the Muppets. They'd been gone for a while. It was, sadly, first Muppet film without their creator, Jim Henson, who had passed away not that long before. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son, Brian, was at the helm on this one. Yep. And it did bring about a brief resurgence for the Muppets, we had this, we had Muppet Treasure Island, which I will not say is a better film than Muppet Christmas Carol, but is one I probably watch
0: more often because it is just silly. Very, very silly. But that's also kind of why it's also great.
5: Yeah, it, it doesn't believe in the fourth wall at all. <laughs> it's just like they're there with the audience. Yeah. Tim Curry going, sing up, lads. This is my only musical number. <laughs> Got it, have. I'm going to go and watch that
0: after this. I love Muppet Treasure Island so much. So when my parents went to go see Muppet Christmas Carol uh, with me last year, I don't think, like, my dad in particular, didn't remember how sort of referential the Muppets were. They all know that they're in a movie. And like, he absolutely kept wetting himself any time that they were making reference to the fact that Gonzo isn't really Charles Dickens, but he believes he's Charles Dickens. And so Rizzo was just like, you're not the real Charles Dickens. And my dad loved it, and it, it is so much fun. Fun fact for you, Muppet Takes Manhattan is the only Muppet movie not to break the fourth wall. Ah, huh, interesting. I'd not actually noticed that. But
5: you mentioned Gonzo, who as a narrator is also Charles Dickens. Do you know why he was chosen to be Charles Dickens? Why was that? Because he was the least likely Muppet to be Charles Dickens. That's from <laughs> yeah. Brian Henson. He was like, yeah, we chose the person least likely to be Charles Dickens to be Charles Dickens, which I think is beautiful logic and of course if you've got gonzo he needs a sidekick now at that point gonzo was more known for the chickens Hmm. as his sidekicks but they wouldn't have made great a great double act because their vocabulary is very limited this movie is where the partnership of rizzo and gonzo really took off and it established them as a two-person team something that would remain right up to the present day pretty much
0: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I I absolutely adore this movie. My friends and I, um, a few years back, i say a few years back, it was about 10 years ago uh, at this point, did a Muppet marathon where we started with uh, the Muppet movie from the 70s all the way through. Like, I don't think Muppet Most Wanted had been released by this point, so I think we ended with the 2012 The Muppets. But yeah, that was a really, really fun day of just watching all these movies back to back. Really, I think the only duds in the Muppets movie franchise... Great Muppet Caper, which is fine, and Muppets from Space, which is—it was in that real The Muppets Tonight era, like that late '90s Muppets Tonight, which which wasn't their their best work. But everything else, I think, is really, really great.
5: Yeah, originally on this movie, just to drag it back to Muppet Christmas Carol, because man, maybe that's what comes after <laughs> Under Consultation, the Muppet <laughs> cast, where you do all the voices. Um, <laughs> But originally, the ghosts were going to be played by existing Muppets. The Ghost of Christmas Past was potentially going to be Robin or Scooter. Miss Piggy was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Present. And Gonzo, before being cast as Charles Dickens, was going to be the Ghost of Christmas Future, or Christmas Yet to Come, Mm. as most commonly referred to. However, they got rid of that, and the ghosts were new Muppets. And I actually think that works because, you know what, those designs are brilliant.
0: Yeah, that creepy doll child, <laughs> the
5: very creepy doll child or the big Saint Nick, that 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 yeah. kind of like big boisterous character. He's one of my favorite kinds of muppets because it is man in suit muppet and I always think that they are some of the most amazing characters to bring to life because you've got the full range of human motion. Yeah. And the the hand operated facial movements as well. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful artistry as is this entire film because of course all the sets had to be built to scale to work for humans and muppets the humans are not aware that they're in a movie <laughs> a conceit i always loved that they are stupid they well they're either stupid or they're 100% method but they believe that they are there in victorian london there was a bunch of different actors that were going to play scrooge we ended up with michael caine this also helped save his career but we could have also had george carlin <laughs>
0: A very sweary (laughs) Scrooge.
5: There was also, David Warner was also considered, David Warner would be a very classical Mm. Scrooge. If it wasn't for the American accent, I would have actually loved George Carlin. It would have been much more cartoony performance because he's very good at doing the screwed up faces. Yeah. Most people who aren't familiar with his stand-up work will be familiar with him from Bill and Ted, where he is actually a cool dude. He's got a very expressive face, but most part, he's just chill. Whereas, if you see his stand up performances and his stand up work, he's got a rubber face going on and is very ranty and sweary. Yeah. (laughs) So, while it would have been interesting, I do think we probably got the best balance of traditional and comic timing in Michael Caine. I don't know that David Warner
0: would have been quite as good at selling The Muppets being real. Because, of course, The Muppets are real. Yeah, well, obviously. Obviously. Um, Yeah. No, I I think we definitely got the best version of this with Michael Caine. And, you know, I I do think it is probably the best Michael Caine performance. Uh, It's just because he is taking it so... Seriously, and that's why it works. He is the perfect straight man to the wackiness of the Muppets around him. He's very good at
5: taking things seriously or with conviction. I mean, to bring it up, Jaws the Revenge. Yep. He sold that movie, he sold The Swarm. (laughs) Now, of course, Christmas as a child, it wasn't just about video games, there was the toys. Every year has its number one toy, and this year's number one toy would technically next year's number one toy. It didn't actually qualify for this year's number one toy because there wasn't enough of them. While on the official books, the British number one toy for Christmas 1992 was WWF Action Figures by Hasbro, a classic and deserving line. Mm-hmm. I've still got a ring full of them downstairs. <laughs>
0: but the number one toy was Tracy Island, Thunderbirds. It's kind of crazy to think back at this time how the Thunderburst just had this huge resurgence in popularity. Those reruns were a massive success. I remember, like, I was watching them all the time during that rerun series on BBC Two, I think it was. But yeah, like that all of a sudden Thunderbirds were the most popular thing uh, in the UK once again. And it's crazy because Jerry Anderson
5: productions were always in rerun. You had Thunderbirds at this point, Captain Scarlet would be repeated as well and that in itself would enjoy resurgence in toys. Not quite to this level but it Hmm. would enjoy a bit of a comeback. But also I remember growing up and Stingray was being shown on ITV, UFO, Space 1999. They were Easy pickings to be shown and moderately inoffensive to most everyone. But Thunderbirds came at just the right time, caught the imagination. It felt fresh to a generation of kids that had mostly missed it. And of course, they were encouraged to watch it by their parents who remembered watching it the first time round. And boy, howdy, Jerry and the Marketing Boys did not miss upon this. And we got a whole range of action figures. And most importantly, from Matchbox, Diecast cast toys that you could buy individually or more commonly in a gift set where you get Thunderbirds one two three and four yes never five no scaling wise it would have been bigger than Tracy Island I imagine or
0: at least on comparable size that was the set that I had actually the one you just mentioned there
5: absolutely the same as well and amazingly how many of them still exist today and in remarkably good nick because they were die cast so there's paint chips but you know what you had to struggle to kill one
0: of those yeah i there are certain nostalgic things for me like i can hear that click sound when you press the red button on thunderbird 2 to make the legs go down Mm. i can remember how it feels the tip of Thunderbird 1, like that red tip which was, like, it was a bit rubbery and stuff Like I remember how that feels And Thunderbird 3 had a similar rubbery tip so yeah, to speak to speak. Uh,
5: if you go on eBay and you look some of these up you'll notice the only real sign of damage a lot of them have is Thunderbird 1 or 3 missing that rubber tip, having been chewed off by children and <laughs> or pets <laughs> But they got the toys out there, the Matchbox gift sets were out there and were already in homes, now what good is the full squad of international rescue, minus Thunderbird 5, without the home base, without Tracy Island. So they created, at the time, a really quite lavish playset. You had the proper locations for all of the Thunderbirds and even a little cave round the back, a back door, if you will, for Thunderbird 4 to live in as well. Mm. Big problem. They knew Thunderbirds was becoming popular. They didn't really know how popular it was going to become. Because you know what? Christmas toy shortages are a thing. The must-have gift is a thing. There's even been movies about it. Hello, Jingle, all the way. Put that cookie down! Now, there is being a hyped item, and then there is a colossal cock-up of supply and demand. And unfortunately, Thunderbirds was the colossal cock-up of supply and demand. People were queuing up overnight. There were not enough. A lot of kids were destined for a very disappointed Tracy Islandless Christmas. Mm-hmm. And following that Christmas full of anguished cries and completely lacking in FAB, Blue Peter, (laughs) the long-running children's television programme, decided that they would get their sticky-back plastic out, some bog roll, some papier-mâché, and show kids how to make it themselves. And I think this segment will outlive the memory of Blue Peter.
3: FAB brains, no sooner said than done. And here it is, the secret hideaway of that famous international rescue team. Now, if you can find Tracy Island in the shops, and it's not easy, it could cost you as much as £34.99, but this one is created entirely from junk. And it'll cost you nothing but just a bit of hard work. You'll get a lot of fun out of it though. And in true Blue Peter style, Ours, Thunderbird 3 comes out of a toilet roll, and Thunderbird 1 shoots out of a yogurt pot, and Thunderbird 2 comes out of a tissue box. And the mechanical trees here, well, those are just pipe
0: cleaners. 100%, because whenever people bring up Tracy Island, this is what they bring up. Like, they talk about how no one really had the actual Tracy Island toy, but they do remember seeing how to make one at home with Anthea Turner.
5: Now, it was quite a complicated build. We've gone through it, and we thankfully had a very good source to go through it from. It is all made out of junk, how much of this you would have around the house depends on how big a smoker your parents are, because there were a <laughs> lot of matchboxes required. Yeah. And also, like, smokers that are big into their bio-yoghurt as well. hmm But it was, I guess, simple in concept, but actually quite complicated in execution. And of course, it was only going to be a five, six-minute segment of the show. So they decided, well, okay, we'll show it on the show. And we have this lovely video that's been preserved, where you see Anthea Turner going through all the steps, cutting out the cardboard boxes, making Thunderbird 2's hanger out of a tissue box, so on and so forth. You also get to see the hands of the helper that's hiding (laughs) under the counter. I don't remember them being that obvious back then, but literally his hands come above the desk level a number of times as he's kind of (laughs) reaching into the sky from the pit, trying to claim... And offer
0: up the next step. Because Anthea's essentially just got loads of these, like the various different stages. So, like, here is it in just its cardboard form. Here is it with its paper mache form. Here is it with its painted form. And so she just brings it along, does a little bit more, hands it to the helper. And these little hands just come and be like, thank you. Thank you, Anthea.
5: It's like they had their own umpa (laughs) lumpers. The blumper pumpers? I don't know. Diamondism. So they were aware how complicated the instructions were that they were asking kids to follow through. So they came up with a great idea. Let's do a fact sheet. Let's do a mail-away fact sheet. Turns out even they'd underestimated the demand because, boy, howdy, they were getting bags and bags of letters every day asking for this fact sheet. And such was the demand that they decided to go a step further. And this is how we've been able to revisit this segment. They released... A video, a 17 minute long video commercial release on how to make Tracy Island.
3: The Make It Yourself Thunderbird's base has become one of the most popular ideas ever shown on Blue Peter.
5: At last, the piles of post bags in our office
4: are getting smaller. The requests for the fact sheet which sent us all screaming for mercy are all being dealt with.
3: But for anyone who missed it the first time or would like to carry out emergency repairs if their Tracy Island looks like it's sinking, then keep watching. Here it comes again in all its flower and paste glory.
5: And it's worth saying that the how-to section of that 17-minute video is about six. (laughs) Yes! There's some padding at the beginning, there's some yep. padding at the end, and then there's a three to four minute showreel on Jerry Anderson products that you can buy on video. <laughs> but I think the most lovely part of this video is at the end to give hope to those that have just watched this video and now are looking at this pile of rubbish next to their toys and trying to work out, can they render this island into being? Can they form it like a god of papier-mâché? Blue Peter give them hope by showing kids that have already done it.
3: What has been so amazing about the island is the fantastic number of letters and photos we've received from people who've made their island. There must be thousands all over the country. Some of those photos are coming up. If you haven't sent yours in yet, please do.
5: And I say kids with Bucky O'Hare ears (laughs) because there's a lot of parents' work being shown on screen here. Yeah, in fact, I would argue there is not a single Tracy Island shown here that wasn't <laughs> assembled by some poor suffering parent. But yeah, I definitely couldn't
0: have done this without parents' help.
5: No, you'd have been better off queuing, I suspect, because queuing is what you'd have had to do. The estimated demand was for half a million units for Christmas. They delivered, from China, 60,000.
0: <laughs> bloody hell! That's why we never knew anyone that had it. no. Well, one last thing before we get into the show itself. Uh, I did actually have a bit of a surprise for you, Ash. So peeling back the curtain somewhat, you very, very kindly bought me a Christmas present last year, which I was, I was very much, you know, I was, I was very blown away by and I was very, very grateful. And it is the Games Master book that we have made reference to. And you did say at the time, It's okay that, you know, because I was like, oh, I didn't get you anything. You're like, you know, that's absolutely fine. But I have felt that I've had hell on to that guilt that I did not get you anything. So I thought for the Christmas episode of Games Master Series 2, I'm going to get you a Christmas present. Given we're separated by about, what, 40 miles at the moment, maybe? <laughs> yeah. This is going to be interesting. So I've sent it to you on uh, the uh, Google Chats now. Oh, mate. So yeah, so uh, I just need to get an address off of you. But yes, it is the Gamesmaster Gore Special VHS.
5: Oh, I tell you what, it doesn't matter what we've got ahead of us in Series 3. Getting to the Gore Special is definitely going to be a landmark moment for us. And the fact that we have a VHS copy of it, amazing. Because you know what? <laughs> Oh, I've got a VCR I know <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be so good Thanks man oh. You're very welcome Thing is though Mer- Merry Christmas <laughs> Thanks The problem is Because technically this is now Christmas in June I didn't get you anything <laughs> So now the guilt doubles back And we're just ending up like in an endless cycle We are perpetual motion of Christmas gift guilt
1: <laughs> Thank you
4: and welcome to Games Master Unf- Fortunately, we're stuck out here on the rig over Christmas, but we don't let that get us down. A little bit of spray snow on the pumps and some mistletoe on the flare stack, we could easily be in Santa's grotto. So, presents for all tonight in the shape of video game news, tips, reviews, and yuletide challenges. So, let's say a big ho, ho, ho to the man with the biggest sack of all, the games master
0: while Dominic Diamond opens the show saying unfortunately they're stuck on the games rig over the Christmas period but that won't let them get them down because we've got presents for all in the forms of games challenges reviews hints and tips and says the games master has the biggest sack of them all he also makes comment that they'll add a little bit of spray snow
5: to the pumps and mistletoe on the flare stacks <laughs> I'm assuming the latter is left over
0: from the 70s yeah. so let's dive into our first challenge what are we playing games master
2: you all tied greetings to one and all Christmas is a time for giving, and the first of my offerings tonight is a jovial affair called Christmas capers. To keep us all in festive mood, you will need to help Santa collect 20 presents while avoiding an assortment of Christmas nasties, including some particularly murderous mince pies. Santa can slow these baddies down with a carefully lobbed snowball or two. I am only prepared to allow you one life and one minute. So make like Donner and Blitzen. Good luck. We are playing
0: Santa's Christmas Caper on the Amiga. You've got to help Santa collect 20 presents. Watch out for those murderous mince pies. You've only got one life and one minute. Make like Donner and Blitzen. How fucking big is Games Master's Christmas hat? Because he is decked
5: for the season. But going by the consultation zone, his general face must be about eight foot tall. Yes. That is a lot of fur trim where do you get that much fur trim from because yeah big old christmas hat on games master
0: and wow festive video games eh yeah like you know they have picked this on purpose because it is the christmas episode but this is a bit of a lame challenge in a way like it's a game that not many people will really be aware of it feels quite homebrew in a way It looks fine, I guess. I've never played it. It kind of feels a bit like
5: Bobble Bobble, but with a vertical scrolling element, because instead of blowing bubbles, you're throwing snow, and it does the same thing. It kind of freezes the enemies. But I do have an issue to take, and I think Games Master may have been at the brandy butter a bit too much, because he keeps talking about murderous mince pies, and the video guys label some of those murderous mince pies. Luke... They're not mince pies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're Christmas puddings. They are
5: Christmas puddings. There may be murderous <laughs> mince pies somewhere in this level. In fact, our commentator makes reference to the murderous mince pies. I don't see any fucking murderous <laughs> mince pies. I see a lot of curmudgeonly Christmas puddings.
4: And here for a spot of Yuletide Prezi grabbing is Paul Tucker from Cleveland. <clears throat> oh, no, OK, thank you. Thank you. Okay, now, Paul, we need a good display here to get us in the festive mood. You've had a couple of goals. How confident are you?
0: Fairly confident. I've done quite well in the practice at all.
4: Uh Are you a fan of platform games?
0: No, I don't like them.
4: (laughs) Okay, well, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime outing for you, then.
0: Playing this game, we've got Paul Tucker from Cleveland. Cleveland?
4: Uh Uh-huh. That's a perfect weird name for this
0: planet who's fairly confident because he's been practicing the game quite a bit but he does not like platforming games so he's probably friends with paul rand from (laughs) cvg
5: maybe it's paul rand in a wig or like kind of it's like (laughs)
0: scooby-doo
5: it was old man Rand all the time.
3: And joining me tonight is Vivian
4: Nose from Gameson. Vivian, is this a festive outfit you've knocked up for the occasion? It's
3: terribly festive, yes. I'm surprised to see you haven't got a Christmas cracker behind your ears, Dominic. Well,
4: I've had a couple of crackers in my time. Now, Vivian, I'm sure you have. have you got any tips for our competitor tonight?
3: Um, on platform games, basically, the idea is just to, to pick up as many bonuses as possible and to immobilise the baddies.
4: Okay, just to reiterate, uh, Paul has to get 20 presents in one minute or less. Uh,
0: Vivian from from GameZone is in the booth and says her outfit is terribly festive and she was expecting to find a Christmas cracker behind Dominic's ears. Well, he's had several crackers over his time. Hey, they're a good double act, them. Oh, she shoots him
5: down on that one, though. (laughs) She's just like, yeah, get it, shagging.
0: (laughs) To cut a long story short because this is a very, very short challenge. I've got two sentences worth of notes for the challenge itself, which is, he races through, has no trouble whatsoever, completes the challenge with nine seconds to spare.
5: Yeah, it is a relatively low-key, low-threat challenge. I mean, how threatening is a game where you're essentially playing as a wonky-looking Santa throwing snowballs, but It's a game. It is a game. And it was designed as a cheap Christmas tie-in. It made for an entertaining enough challenge and it kept the festive theme going. Yeah. And I appreciated that because they were going to be kind of limited. We'd already had uh, Robocod, which has some kind of snowy, wintry levels in it. Otherwise, I could have seen us maybe returning to that. But Mm -hmm. no, this this is fine. It was fine. A bit more of a challenge would have been nice, maybe. Like a bit more of a threat. Because when he gets right to the top of the level, it gets a little bit hairy because there's a cluster of monsters and he does have to do a bit of ducking and diving and dodging. There is a moment where he comes within a pixel's
0: width of clashing into an enemy. But I would say credit to Paul on this one. He had a route that he was taking to get this. He had worked out the fastest route to get all these presents in the quickest amount of time. And he just does it without making any mistakes, which is essentially what he says in the post-match interview. He says that if you make mistakes, you're in trouble. But he made no mistakes. He just nailed it. Yeah, simple enough challenge. That's it. As
4: we await Santa riding onto the rig in his shiny red chopper, we thought we'd look at helicopter games. First up, shoot your load vertically in Super Swift.
1: SNES
0: Swift is a really good shoot 'em up The graphics are really nice and there's a lot to kill.
4: The sound's pretty good as well. Initially, it's quite hard. But after you've sussed out the gameplay, it
0: becomes incredibly easy.
4: Little chopper and little jeep running along in hectic
6: backgrounds shooting the crap out of everything it's absolutely amazing
0: well what reviews are going to be making Santa's sack bulge tonight it's helicopter games that's what it is uh, while we wait for Santa to arrive in his red chopper
5: I mean yeah when I think of Christmas I think of attack helicopters
0: I don't know about you yeah last week's one made sense you know the last week's review section where it was movie tie made sense as we talked about because movie premieres were such a big thing on television and gathering around the TV to watch a film with your family really does feel like a christmas thing so i was then very surprised when it's on the actual christmas episode and it's just helicopter games i I didn't quite see the link and to be honest i don't really have a lot to say about many of the games on this review section i've got
5: one major comment Which is, it's alluded that these games could be under your tree this Christmas, except none of them are due for release in 1992. (laughs) They're all early 1993. Yes. But anyway, let's go through them, because there are a couple of interesting facts about some of them, and at least one of them is an absolute cracker. In fact, it's the first one, Super Swift, an opportunity to vertically shoot our load.
0: Uh, we've got John Beveridge, uh, John Davison from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming, and Alex Simmons from Control with uh, Beveridge calling it Swift a really good shoot 'em up lots to kill. John Davison says it's hard to begin with, but once you get used to controls, it becomes incredibly easy, but Alex calls it amazing. 87% for Super Swiv on the SNES. It's a perfectly competent
5: and enjoyable vertical shooter. I went off, I played a little bit of it. I didn't get too far into it because it was just a cursory glance. I probably played it slightly less than these guys did, not by much, because <laughs> that's how these kind of reviews go. It was released as Super Swiv on the Snares, it was released as Mega Swiv on the Mega Drive, hence why he probably called it SNES Swiv. Yes. And there was a follow-up way in the future in 1996 called SWIFT 3D. There is a plot line involving secret underground race on an island and yada, yada, yada. It's the sort of plot that only ever goes with a vertical scrolling shooter where no one actually cares.
4: Next up, the arcade legend comes to the Mega Drive in Steel Talons. This is actually a very good conversion of the arcade game, but the Mega Drive simply can't handle it. (laughs) The graphics are jerky. They look terrible. You seem to fly along at two miles an hour and turn at 500. You'd be much better off going down the arcade and pumping a few quid into a machine.
0: Up next on the Mega Drive, it's the very impressive looking Steel Talent, which is an arcade conversion. And this is a full on 3D game. It's the sort of game that you would eventually see on the Sega Saturn and particularly the Atari Jaguar. So it does look quite impressive that this is on a Mega Drive cart, But unfortunately, because it's on a Mega Drive card, it also means it's quite junky.
5: Now, you said about the Atari Jaguar, because this game existed on the Mega Drive, the Super Nintendo, the Atari ST, and the Atari Lynx. And there was a Jaguar port announced, never emerged. Which is a shame, because it would have probably been the only one that ran worth a toffee. Yeah. This game literally runs at four frames per second. You can count the frames, as they go on screen. As an arcade game, it was pretty good. It was okay. It was, again, 3D. It was quite advanced. They were asking too much of the Mega Drive. The 32X, maybe. You might have got that with the 32X add-on. Even the Super Nintendo, and you think about it, the Super Nintendo had things like Mode 7 it could use to cheat, and later down the line, the Super FX chip. It didn't do much better. It got six frames per second on average yeah and the main reason it got that was because for the super nintendo version they didn't render the helicopter as 3d it was just sprite right so they reduced the poly count on screen and
0: that was how they got six frames per second you've got to think at the development point of this when you look at oh we can only get four frames a second or in the case of the snares you can only get six frames a second that someone will have said we probably may as well not bother releasing this and spending time and money getting this out there because it's Borderline Not Playable. To be honest, in
5: those days of console games, and particularly before the internet, Borderline Unplayable didn't
0: seem like a barrier to releasing a game. Yeah, John Davison said it is a good conversion of the arcade game, but the Mega Drive can't quite handle it, uh, with Beverson saying that it's hard to control, and Alex saying you're better off going to the arcade and playing it there. 57% for Steel Talons on the Mega Drive. Disappointing, but entirely understandable.
4: Finally, on the PC, possibly the most satisfying chopper so far, Fergie's favourite ride, Comanche. Although only the fast machine, the graphics are gorgeous. I've never seen anything like this on the PC before.
3: This game's so good, I'd sell my grandchildren to get my hands on it.
4: There's
6: loads of weapons for you to shoot, loads of missions for you to fly, it's just incredible.
0: But on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, we end off with Maximum Overkill Comanche on the PC, where Dominic Diamond calls this the most satisfying chopper. John Beverson says that the graphics are gorgeous, you do need a fast PC to run it, but it is like this is what you want from a helicopter i never would have been able to play this game my pc never would have been able to handle this
5: and keep in mind this is a fast pc in 1992 there was no g-force there was no radeon other than radeon automatic there was no voodoo fx we we hadn't even gone into the world of 3d accelerators as a home concept yet this game was producing amazing graphics by 1992 standards on a voxel based engine. It was the first helicopter simulator to put this engine into use. And wow, it looks good. And everyone loves it.
0: Including, wait a minute, what's Auntie Mauritius doing in the impact zone? <laughs> yeah, Auntie Mauritius thinks it's so good she'd sell her grandchildren to get her hands on it.
4: Now it's time for this week's feature Ailing Games Players of the World Unite. You have nothing to lose but your lost. For now, hope is at hand from Mr Action Replay and Mr Game Genie. As well as improving your less than brilliant performances by giving you extra lives, these cunning cheat devices let you actually change your games to make them even more weird and wonderful.
0: This is the Amiga Action Replay. We're currently on the third version, and it's a utility cartridge for the Amiga. I can disassemble the game. I can change the machine code in the game if I like. And if I restart this game now, we should have a different character instead of Scrappy-Doo. There's also a slow-mo switch, which we can adjust the speed of the game.
4: The Super NES Action Replay doubles as an imported game converter, and this also comes in
0: handy Mega Drive and Game Boy flavors. Got a cool feature this week looking at both the Action Replay and the Game Genie. Kicking things off with the Action Replay, Wayne Beckett from Daytel takes us through this, uh, which is currently on its third version, and he shows it on the Amiga where you can change the whole game, change Scrappy-Doo to a totally new character. Sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Sounds like a fabulous (laughs) idea change scrappy do to anyone but scrappy do i was expecting them to make that joke actually i was waiting for someone to be like and we've improved the game i hate to say it the game itself is actually pretty good it does look fun it's a real bind
5: because i played it on the amstrad which you know you're already batting against the odds of (laughs) of power there but the scrappy do game was really fun i hate them for that
0: (laughs) Uh, He also shows off the slow mode and they say that the action replay uh, on the SNES is a way to play imported games, which we've spoken to a few people about uh, during the run of this series. And you can also get it from the Mega Drive and the Game Boy.
5: Now, the Super Nintendo action replay was the first and longest running action replay I've owned. And I got it mainly for that bypass where you have an import cartridge on top, you have a region native cartridge in the back, and it uses the region chip from the native cartridge to bypass the region lockout from the import cart. It's quite a dignified system. Didn't work with some later games because Nintendo got a little bit pissed off and there were some games that just wouldn't work. And I think actually a lot of the Super FX chipped based games had issues with this Mm. method of playing imports. But man alive, I loved that action replay. So many of the codes broke stuff. Absolutely broke stuff. But I did get to do some really interesting colour combinations on Street Fighter 2. Yet another cheating option is the Game Genie. This code here
6: is from Mario 3 it makes Mario Skywalk. Just put the code in quite simply, using the letters on the screen. By using the jump button, you can make Mario jump right up in the sky, literally walk in the sky. Okay, this code here is for pilot wings. What it does is it increases the rocket pack thrust power by three times, so that when you press the button for fuel injection on the rocket, you fly right up in the air. Got a code here which makes Sonic jump a lot higher.
4: Notice he can jump right at the screen. Can almost clear a level in one jump. Once more, gamers on the go can be satiated by the Game Boy Genie. All this haberdashery means even the limpest of players can emerge proud and triumphant.
0: And up next, we've got the Game Genie presented by Mark Stoneham from Game Genie Helpline. And he shows it in action on Mario 3, where you can make Mario Skywalker, you can jump really high into the air. On Pilot Wings. you can increase the rocket pack thrust by three. And on Sonic, you can jump so high, you can basically clear an entire level, which, I mean, you can actually do on Sonic 1 on the Master System, like on the first level of, I think it's first level of Green Hill Zone. If you hit a ramp at just the right speed uh, and direction, you can basically clear the entire level. That's by the way. And there's also a Game Boy Genie. Good name there. So finally, the limpest of players can be triumphant. Just to comment on this Game Boy Genie, this Game Boy Genie is about two
5: thirds of the size of a bloody Game Boy. It's, it's bloody massive. It's huge. <laughs> what have they put in there? Because most other Game Genies, or indeed action replays, how about the size of the cartridge? Yeah. I don't understand why this thing is so
0: absolutely massive. Seems crazy. Well, that's what the game genie guru Mark Stonham had to say then. But what's he got to say now?
6: Uh, my name's Mark Stoneham. Um, I'm 49 years old. Um, and back in the early 90s, I was known as the game genie guru. Uh, well, that came about because I got a job at Hornby Hobbies, um, who are the people who make um and the Hornby Trains. Um, and in the early <clears> 90s, <throat> they diversified and decided that rather than just doing those two, two products, they would get into toys, other toys as well. Um, and one of the toys they got into uh, was the redistribution of the Game Genie in the UK. So they advertised for somebody to come and work for Hornby Hobbies, uh, exclusively for the Game Genie product. Um, to man the helpline so people who bought a game genie um, who had trouble using it or wanted um, additional codes because i, I don't know really you know what the game genie did but it basically allowed you to cheat at the um at the, at the games <laughs> the console games at the time um so yes yeah, so the idea was that somebody would man the helpline um so the, the job description was pretty much do you like playing games and that was it so uh, <laughs> I was working as an insurance clerk at the time and the offer of playing games rather than doing people's insurance and life insurances uh, was quite tempting to a sort of an early 20 years, 20 year old. So yeah, that's that's pretty much how I ended up working at Hornby Hobbies, working on the Game Genie product. So what was a day in the life like uh, as being a Game Genie guru? Uh, well, the, the first six months was brilliant because the, the helpline wasn't open for six months. So I started <laughs> six months before the helpline started. Um, so my job in the first few months Um, In fact, on my very first day was to be given a pile of consoles from a Nintendo, SNES, Mega Drive, Game Genie, all all of the the different products um, to take home with me. Um, So I had one of those at home and I had one in the office um, and my first six months was literally playing games. That was my job, sit there and play games, work out how to play games, you know, and uh, I was given the the Game Genie product to to test out as well um, and to try and find new codes. So, you know, ones that would make Mario jump higher or, give you infinite lives that sort of thing.
0: When the helpline then came in you said six months in
6: the, how did the job change? Uh, it, it, to be fair it didn't change drastically to start with because the, the calls weren't particularly um, you know there wasn't a an awful, awful lot of calls to start with so my job still pretty much consisted of playing games um, which again wasn't wasn't too bad to uh, get up to <laughs> in the morning um, but as, as the helpline sort of progressed and, and got, got busier um, it, it became a mix of you know when the when the phone line wasn't busy I'd play games and when it sort of uh, got busier than I've been answering calls um, and talking through sort of game tactics with people. It kind of developed quite quickly. Um, so people would phone up for Game Genie codes initially. Um, then it just became a general sort of gaming helpline, if, if, in all honesty.
0: So you're almost like a, a games master uh, in of
6: yourself. Yeah, yeah. So some, somebody would phone up and say, you know, you've got the latest, you know, infinite lives code for whatever game. Um, oh and by the way do you know how i get through level you know 17 so yeah it became a bit of a better an arduous task he says in inverted commas um to to play games uh and to work out how to get through them obviously the the benefit of the game genie was that in a lot of cases i'd have infinite lives i'd have that ability so that would often make things a bit easier
0: Uh, and with the the game genie itself um did you have any sort of particular favorites did you get like was there any sort of games that you had a lot of calls about
6: uh well the mario ones were obviously particularly popular um, and I had no idea, I mean, I had no idea how the Game Genie worked. Um, that was down to Codemasters, who invented the product. Um, but it, it seemed to work particularly well on games like Mario, where you could change the, the distance that Mario would jump, um, give him invulnerability, um, that sort of thing, or change the color of him. You know, I mean, There were so many different things you could, you could potentially do. Um, there was a rival product called the Action Replay that was out at the same time. Um, I think that's still going, actually. Um, and that was a little bit easier to work with, I believe, um, in that you could find codes a bit easier. Uh, but the Game Genie was very much trial and error. You had eight, oh, really? literally eight characters you could type into the screen, so that would range from the letters A through to Z and the numbers 1 to 9, uh, and you just type numbers in, and you saw what happened. 99% <laughs> of the time, the game would just crash. <laughs> but every now and again, you'd, you'd find that completely random thing that would turn Mario into Peach or something, you know. So it would, it would, <laughs> you know. Totally, yeah. Totally transformed the game. So
0: you appeared on Games Master. Uh, How did that come around?
6: Uh, Well, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I worked for somebody at uh, at Hornby Hobbies who was the marketing manager for the boys' toys. Back in those days, there was a split between boys' and girls' toys, which you don't have now. Um, He was the marketing manager, and I I assume he was contacted um, about somebody going on the show and and talking about the Game Genie. I don't think it was pitched as a sort of game versus action replay, um, article. And I don't think if you watch it, it was presented like that either. No. They, were, they were both presented in their own right. Um, but I, I suspect they just wanted to cover all bases. Um, so he, he, he must've been contacted. Um, he was in his late twenties, maybe early thirties. And I think he just decided I was probably the, uh, the better face to go on TV <laughs> than him at the time. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's why I got chosen to do it instead of him. But, uh, that's that's how it happened. But I, I couldn't give the details of exactly how and why. Did you Were you watching Games Master uh, in its first series? Yeah, yeah. Avid watch of the, ga, of the Game Master program um, and all the magazines as well. Because the other thing I used to do as part of the um, the Game Genie Guru uh, moniker was to contact all of the magazines on a monthly basis as well. So I'd get in touch with Sega Power, um, Nintendo, all, all the magazines that were out at the time. And there was an awful lot of them. Um, was to give them new codes as well. So it was kind of a a sales tactic to be getting ourselves into the magazine, into the help section, um, and giving them all the new codes that have been found as well. Because Codemasters would send over new codes on a sort of monthly basis to us that they'd found for, for games that had come out. And then it was our job or my job to distribute those to the magazines as well.
0: What was the recording day
6: like? Okay, well, it, yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, it's nowhere near as glamorous as you think it's going to be. Um, I think the probably the difference is, and I don't know how many other people you've interviewed about this, but um, I didn't go into like the big den. I didn't, I didn't go into <clears> the big studio um, to film playing a game or anything like that. So mine was a lot more subdued, a lot more sort of clunky um, and sort of a lot of waiting around, if I'm honest with you. Um, so I got picked up quite early in the morning. It was me and obviously the manager, the, the boys' toys manager that, uh, that took me into London. Um, it was in a back street just off of Oxford Street. Um, went into a, a very tiny, un- unassuming building. Uh, went down some steps into a basement. Um, and I stood in front of a green screen, basically. <laughs> um, it took hours, absolutely hours, to record what, if, if you watch the program, lasts for about 20 seconds. <laughs> I suspect <laughs> maybe a tiny bit longer. Um, and, uh, you know, an awful lot was filmed as well that you don't see. So I was filmed playing games, trying out codes, it, it basically showing all the different ways that the game Genie could be used. I'm pretty pretty sure we filmed uh, a Mega Drive, a SNES, a Nintendo, and probably a Game Boy, if I remember rightly. It's bizarre. I have probably watched it maybe once or twice since I filmed it, <laughs> since it was filmed and shown. Um, and, you know, back, back in the day, obviously, you had to video these things to be able to see them again. Um, and it was a relative that videoed it for me. So I don't even think I had it on, on tape, you know, beyond the early, the, the early 2000s. It was probably long gone. Um, but obviously, with the advent of uh, YouTube, it appeared again and I spotted it. So how long did you work at Game Genie for? Um, I was at Hornby Hobbies for about four years, I think, in the end. But um, the Game Genie thing kind of came to a, to a finish fairly quickly. It, it, it peaked very quickly in sales um, and it sold quite a few. Um, but I think, um, and my ex-manager will probably kill me for saying this, um, but I think the Action Replay was the better product. So ultimately, um, the the, uh, Action Replay sold better than the Game Genie um, and probably carried on far longer. Um, So it kind of... um, It it didn't die a death, but it did tail off fairly quickly. So I was only actually the Game Genie guru um, probably for about 18 months to two years, I think. Um, And then... um, it's an extremely boring conversation so i won't go through it but i ended up becoming a marketing person at hornby hobbies instead um, and working on graphic design for their packaging it was fantastic they paid for me to get trained up to do all of that so um, and that's you know what led to my career after that as a as a graphic designer so yeah that's thanks to, thanks to for that so i went from playing games to being you know paid for to
0: learn how to become a graphic designer and that became my job going forward so lastly before i let you go the the, the moniker of game genie guru was it of your design? Was it Hornby's design?
6: No, in fact, that was that was probably the magazines, if I'm honest with you. And I've got a feeling, if I'm going to name drop, it, it was probably a guy called Dean Mortlock, who works at Sega Power. I'm pretty sure he used to call me the Game Genie Guru when he printed the codes each month. Um, he would say, oh, here's, right. here's the latest codes from the Game Genie Guru, Mark Stone from <laughs> Hornby Hobbies, and then he would list out the codes uh, for that month. But <laughs> yeah, uh, in actual fact, Game Games Master was my first of three appearances on TV for Hornby Hobbies. I was also on, and this is completely random, a programme called Gaz Top's non-stop show. It only lasted for six episodes if I remember rightly. <laughs> um, but he filmed the um, uh, Toy Fair one year, it must have been about 94, maybe 95, um, when we were promoting a product called Super Deck, which was going to allow you to play NES games on a Super Nintendo, which Hornby, <laughs> in conjunction with another company, were inventing. It never came to fruition. Um, but he did this sort of run through the toy fair and stopped at our stand, and I had to, had to do a beast to him then. So I ended up being on TV three times in my sort of 18 months, two years at all me hobbies, which was all a bit weird.
0: Well, the diaper got wet with those reviews, and it's time for our celebrity
2: challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Hello again. Rummaging around in my sack... I came across Volfeed, a cerebral game for a change to keep the grey cells ticking over before they get addled by lashings of Christmas-pud. For the purposes of my challenge, each contestant will have one minute to fill in as much of the screen as they can, while avoiding the irksome intrusions of the level's guardians. Don't be afraid to bide your time, as this is a game where caution often pays dividends. Well,
0: Gamesmaster was rummaging around his sack and found Volvi. Is it Volveed? Volified? They say it different ways throughout the show. I've always thought of it as Volified or the sequel to Kicks. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's a good way to keep the brain ticking over before you've had too much Christmas put. So he knows what a Christmas put is. He can recognise what one of them is, and it's not a mince pie. He'd sobered up by this point. (laughs) This was just before he kicked in on the cooking sherry. Well, each contestant has to fill in as much of the screen as possible. Caution can play Dividends. This looks like a really, really fun game. It is.
5: I've played a lot more of its precursor than of this, but I do like these games because there is a real strategy to it. And I'll be honest, our celebrity goes at this with an entirely valid strategy, which... With a bit more practice, he could have won this easy. Oh, yeah, totally. And what a celebrity we've got for this challenge.
4: And for this test of reflexes and mental agility, we have young Oliver Gibson, who will be challenging his grandfather. Tonight's special guest, Bob Holness.
1: <clears>
4: Oliver. <throat> OK, now, Oliver, how long have you been playing video games for? About seven years. About seven years. So that will give you a slight advantage <laughs> over your grandfather here. Have you, have you taken one on before? Yesterday was the first time. Yesterday, <laughs> It's not quite a gold run, ball, but it is a, it is a test of mental agility. Oh, perhaps, that it is, yeah. Perhaps you can score there.
0: Yes, there are different ploys and different systems. I can tell you now that I haven't worked any of them out.
4: <laughs> okay. Well, we wish you all the best of luck.
0: Yes, we've got Oliver Gibson taking on his grandfather, the legendary... Bob Holmes. Blockbusters.
5: Or the first James Bond.
0: Yeah. Playing him in radio form in South
5: Africa. Weird little factoid there. (laughs) But I love this because one, it's a generational thing. Two, you can tell he really loves his grandson. And also he is just so game to be here. He has a natural enthusiasm and warmth. And it's lovely. This is what you want from a Christmas episode.
0: Yeah, it really is. Like, Bob's such a wonderful screen person. You can see why he had such a a long, long career. You know, he got it started in 1955, but most known, I think, to our generation as the man who presented Blockbusters. He did that from 83 through to 94. I'm not a smart kid. I was never a smart kid at school, but I did, did enjoy watching Blockbusters. And Blockbusters was kind of a
5: step up because it came immediately on ITV after the kids' shows. So you'd start about 3.30 on CR, tv that's when you get your younger kids section which the main ones i remember from my siblings watching them was you'd get tots tv yeah rosie and jim rosie and jim love rosie and jim anything with a canal boat always going to (laughs) get marks in my mind thomas the tank engine raggy dolls puddle lane then you get the four to kind of 445 slot and that would be maybe a big import cartoon maybe some tiny tunes you might get art attack zap You might get Zap, I was just trying to remember the name of that, or How To as well. Then you'd get the last bit. Now, the last bit was usually something that was maybe a bit more grown up and a bit more serious so you might get children's ward Mm -hmm. or you'd get the tomorrow people reboot that was coming up and then immediately following on from that before home and away would be blockbuster so it was kind of nice that you would actually get this gradual tapering up of target audiences and so it was something that you could end up easily watching just by not switching channels if there wasn't a blue peter on and they weren't making tracy island you might stay in and watch blockbusters and it was also such a fun show and a weird show at the same time because the basic concept for those of you that didn't watch it or haven't seen the reboot that's running on dave with dara breen which i actually really like because they do they, they they send up the uh the concept a little bit and he has a lot of fun with it but the concept is is you've got two teams one's a team of one the other is a team of two so one of them is always at a disadvantage and you have to answer questions to make your way across a grid either left to right or top to bottom and the questions will be on general knowledge and usually the kids will be university age and they'll have mascots kind of a carryover from university challenge and then at the end of it you'll get the gold run and that is you've got to get from one side of the board to the other and all the squares in the middle have initials on them so it will be who p.m played a cgi games master yeah patrick moore yeah and you would go across and if they made it across in the time limit they would they would win a prize and sometimes those prizes were great sometimes they weren't but they always sounded exciting yeah and bob was the presenter and he despite a massive age gap between him and his contestants at that time he had a natural rapport with them he clearly put them at ease and to see old episodes of blockbuster now is just a lovely
0: warm joy and everyone in the 90s always got a chuckle out of i'll have a pee please bob on the daro <laughs> reboot it gets a full-on ovation it's almost <laughs>
5: like a mexican wave going around the crowd also let's not forget the most important part of blockbusters that theme music
0: Um, sadly bob is no longer with us he died in january 2012 he did have various illnesses including celiac and dementia he had a major stroke in 2002 it was a big loss uh, to the world of entertainment but you know good innings for bob definitely a good innings
5: we talked briefly about oliver his grandson but his name isn't oliver it's worth
0: pointing out and we know this because Bob slips a number of times and calls him Tom. See, now I just thought that was lovely granddad stuff because, like, my granddad would always call me by the wrong name. Like, he'd usually call me Ben, which is my brother's name because he's the eldest.
5: No, apparently this is legit a thing. He just kept calling—he kept
0: calling his grandson by his shoot name rather than his <laughs> stage name. Well, over the last few weeks, we have been referring to the Gamesmaster official book to find out about our star riggers, and here is what Dominic Diamond had to say about Bob Holness, the most mature celebrity we've had on the show so far, but one of the most popular, Bob is a TV legend. Most of us on the show are lifelong fans of his, and Gamesmaster and him go way back as far as the 18th century, some people have said. Bob kept us entertained in rehearsal, with many an amusing yet informative anecdote about his life in the business, business with a Capital B and the rig was a somewhat emptier place when he flew off, however, the Amiga is no respecter of television reputation, and Bob was woeful at the game, getting stuffed by his grandson. Oh, well, he had a good innings, game playing skill, one star, personal niceness, five stars. I would disagree on their
5: appraisal of his game playing skill but As we'll, would i we'll get to that
4: and joining me in the commentary box tonight is tom watson from renegade welcome tom good evening Dominic. now we think bob's gonna have a fight on his hands with this one any tips you can give him
0: well, I think for Bob, the thing to watch out for is the bonuses. If he can get the timeout bonus quickly, he could complete it in 15, 20, 25 seconds. If not, could take a lot longer. Tom Watson from Renegade is in the booth. Bob has got a fight on his hands with this. You've got to aim for that timeout bonus, because if you can get that, you can complete the whole board in 20 seconds or less. But if not, it will take you longer.
5: Now, just for the challenge starts, Bob says that there are lots of different ploys and different systems but he hasn't worked any of them out. <laughs> I'd call your bluff on that one, Bob. You definitely worked at least one tactic out. <laughs> but Oliver's up first, and that's the point where Bob accidentally refers to his grandson as Tom for the first time not the last (laughs)
0: but the first time so yeah Oliver is up first Oliver would do doing Bucky O'Hare is Uh, he gets 4% but loses a life gets up to 16% before losing his second life and then gets the time stop bonus just as his time looks like it's going to start to run out on him he gets the time stop bonus which means he runs up one length of the board gets to 48.8% right at the end got really lucky because he nearly ran out of time before getting rid of that big big chunk of the board it was a nice little and it paid off
4: okay so bob has got his work cut out for him he's got a very difficult score to beat if you want to see if bob on can blockbuster his way through this one join us after the break
1: yeah hey, tries.
3: is that Tommy over there He used to fancy not anymore He smokes! Uh.
1: Patrons, I
6: remind you that the consumering of Phileas Cog extra hot tortilla chips is not permitted in this
2: cinema by order of the chief fire officer Medancy Road Conset. Thank you.
0: Don't miss the amazing Super Nintendo Action Pack. It comes ready to fire with six great games.
2: All the excitement of the Super Nintendo console, scope accessory, and six games. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify.
1: To mark his 30 years as a
2: recording artist, Eric Clapton, Stevie Wonder, Chrissie Hynde, John Mellencamp, Tom Petty and a controversial appearance from Sinead O'Connor. A tribute to Bob Dylan, Christmas Day on Channel 4.
4: Welcome back to Yuletide Games Master where we are playing Volfied. Young Oliver Gibson has scored 48.8% which is the number that his grandfather Bob Holness has got to beat. Tom Watson from Renegade is with me. Are we going to see a Gordon from Bob here?
0: Well, Dominic, 50% certainly achievable. Watching Bob earlier, he's got a good chance. Okay, then, Bob, are you ready? As
5: ready as I'll ever be.
0: Then off you go back from the commercial break. And Tom says that Bob might have a good chance here based on the practice that he has seen. And Bob is actually very, very quick at this game. Like he has got a tactic that he is going to employ. And he's got 10% off the board in just a couple of seconds. He's actually very, very good at this. And his tactic is go right up the middle unfortunately, he keeps getting blasted as he's going up that middle and only ends with 14.7% of the board. So he did have a smart plan, but he just lost all of his lives. Yeah, the, the ploy generally is, is rather than
5: try and cut out large chunks, you cut out small slivers to build a vertical wall. And then when you reach the top, boom, half the screen gone. It's an easy one. And sadly, yeah, as will come up in the post-match, He'd got that working before, but not with that time limit. The time limit was the difference maker here. So maybe if he'd set his stopwatch for a little bit shorter time, we might have had a different result. I was so rooting for Bob to beat his grandson in this (laughs) game. I feel a little bit bad because, again, normally we try and avoid punching down, but I'm like, come on, Bob. Yeah, I was pulling for Bob as well.
4: Oliver, that was a masterful display. What, What was the secret of your success?
1: Yeah, time stop helped a lot. I the score then.
4: You just, like, uh, mopped them up at the end there. Yeah. Now, Bob, <laughs> you were trying some clever tactic there. For the benefit of those who didn't spot it, tell us what it was. You didn't
5: have a lot of time to spot it, did you? <laughs> but I
4: was trying to work up the middle so I could cut off one whole section of the board because I've been told that's the thing to do. You would have got 50% for Yeah, that. the trouble is, when I was practising last night for an uh-huh. hour, I sat back and took five minutes over a game you see it's that time limit that it I is that, that's yeah. what added the pressure to you yeah but it was good performance by to- by all
0: wasn't it Oliver says that the time stop really helped him at the end there and this is where Bob talks about that he didn't have enough time to show off his trick because at home he can do this but he was taking five minutes to do it when you've only got a minute the time pressure got to him yeah but I, I just thought Bob was great on this episode really really enjoyed that celebrity challenge
5: and again just at the end he mistakenly refers to him as Tom again. I'll be honest, I'm actually a little bit annoyed at the Games Master production crew on this one. Mm -hmm. They could have muted that. Yeah. They could have cut that. If for some reason that kid didn't want his real name being used, they could have edited around it. And I don't know why they didn't, because it wouldn't have been difficult. Everyone was individually miked. Yeah. don't know. That's (laughs) the only bit of this challenge that left a little bit of a sour taste. Well, it's Christmas time. And we mustn't forget those out there who are less
4: fortunate than ourselves such as the four hopeless cases who are trying to be put right in this
0: week's Consultation Zone. Well, speaking of sort of weird production errors, Dominic Diamond says there's going to be four kids on this week's Consultation Zone, and there are only three, and there are always only ever three. Yeah, I noted that as well. I also noticed he called them hopeless cases. His words, not ours. So it makes me wonder whether or not, because obviously, you know, the consultation zone had been filmed after all of the Games Rig stuff had been filmed, whether at that point they were looking to bump up the consultation zone to four kids a week rather than three. But then when it came down to the actual edit of the show, they put it back down to three again. Here's a thought.
5: Maybe they actually did a couple of takes of the intros to the consultation zones. And sometimes they would say three, sometimes they'd say four, sometimes they'd say two. And the amount of consultation zone kids they put in would depend on how the rest of the show flow together because we've had somewhere there's only been two yeah just like we've had some review sections where there's not been a feature maybe the entire office had been at the cooking sherry and they were just <laughs> a little bit <laughs>
2: Final edit. hello games master welcome up to the helipad what's your yuletide query my friends keep on beating me at super soccer is there any way i can improve my chances there is indeed young take. From the team selection screen, hold down Start on your preferred squad, and then press B. Your players will now belong to the unstoppable Super Nintendo team. If you wanted to help with your dribbling, (laughs) find a rabid dog. Thanks very much. Glad to be a service.
0: Well, our first kid cannot beat his mates on Super Soccer. Games Master gives him the handy cheat that on the team selection, hold down start and select your team with B and your players will all be beefed up. If you want help with dribbling, find a rabid dog.
5: That was a beautiful line. I wish I'd known about this cheat because I had Super Soccer. It was one of the games that came with my used Super Nintendo and it was awful and I was awful at it. Hi, Games Master. I've heard on Robocod there's a level select cheat. Could you tell me what it is, please?
2: Yes, I can. When the game starts, hold the joypad to the left and down, pressing A and C at the same time. Then press Start, still holding down all of these buttons. This should allow you to access the confidential levels of screen, from where you can cheat away to your heart's content. <laughs>
0: Okay, thanks. Bye. Our second kid wants a level select cheat on James Pond 2, codenamed Robocod. This bloody game won't f*** off from the consultation zone. It keeps cropping up every few weeks. I mean, you say that, you
5: also know what game's next as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but Gamesmaster is quite happy to oblige. This is clearly for the Mega Drive version of the game because you hold down, left, and down, and press A and C at the same time, then press start, and it brings up the secret
0: cheat menu. Yes, and we get to see James Pond partying with Sansa, because it's still the Christmas episode. Of course, that fits, that makes sense.
1: Hi, Games Master. Your question? On Zelda 3, how do you get the Bombus Medallion?
2: In the bottom left area of Dark World, you'll find a semicircle of stumps next to a sheer rock face. Stand in the middle of this semicircle, and warp into Light World. You should now be near a large monolith. Use the Book of Medara in front of this to receive the Bombos Medallion.
3: Great, thanks.
0: And as you alluded to there, our final kid is stuck on Zelda 3. He cannot get the Bombos Medallion. Go to the left corner in Dark World. You then transport to Light World and you'll then be on top of a cliff. Go to the Monolith with the Book of Medella and that is how you get the Medallion. There is a reason why. Link to the Past will come up a lot in the Consultation Zone, the same way that Mario World has come up a lot in this Consultation Zone in Series 2. It says a
5: lot that these games were still highly regarded all the way through the Super Nintendo's lifespan. And it's because of stuff like this, where you really have to think outside the box and work with the game mechanics that you're being given. And it also means that it keeps people like Gamesmaster going because there's always going to be someone that's got a
0: query about a game like this. Yeah, 100%. because so I didn't have Link to the Past, or I mean, because I didn't have a Super Nintendo as a kid. So I didn't play A Link to the Past much later into my life. And by that point, you had the internet and you had game facts and you had loads of walkthroughs online that you could watch. So I never got to experience this game without those guidances and without that, oh, I'm stuck with this bit, just quickly go onto the internet, Tippy tipty tap oh, that's how you do it. But yeah, so I would have been like obsessed with this like hoping that Zelda 3 would have been on again at some point on Games Master or reading magazines to find all those hints and tips. I was. I was either watching
5: Games Master or I'm fairly certain Nintendo magazine system had a big old feature section and walkthrough and hints and stuff and i did complete zelda on the snes in the original timeline Mm. and i think i got more of a sense of satisfaction of completing zelda than i did of completing mario world purely Mm. because story driven there was more of an investment with the characters because of what else was going on in the game well apparently Santa Claus is a distant cousin of Games Master is Santa a Terminator is that what we're saying (laughs) or are we talking about Santa from Futurama at
0: this point (laughs) well it's time for our final challenge but rather than head over to Chrome Dome let's hear what we're playing from Dominic Diamond
4: now it's time for our third challenge and it is the grand final of the Games Master Street Fighter 2 magazine challenge We have had four multi-format magazines who each nominated their
0: champions. They came, they played, and
5: they've been whittled down to two. We already know what we're playing.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's the finals of our Street Fighter II multi-format magazine challenge. We've got Mean Machines' Gary Harrett and GameZone's Paul Aiken as our finalists. Let's be honest here, Gary is definitely the favourite going in. Absolutely the favourite. Paul must be
5: regretting some life choices at this point because... He knows there's no way he's getting out of this with dignity.
4: Now, Paul, I think you're, you're the slight outsider Just tonight. Just like, yeah. Are we going to see an upset?
5: Only if I can unplug his joypad before the game starts.
4: All right. Now, one of the conditions of the competition is that we never see the same fighter twice. You dallied with Dalsum in the semis. Who are you going with tonight? Zangiev this time. OK, what can we see from Zangief? Zangiev. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, he can take a lot of punishments. I'm just going to cower in the corner and take, all the, take it on the chin. OK, then. Gary, you are the favourite. There's a lot of money riding on you tonight. Who are you going with? Uh, I'm choosing Blanco tonight. Oh, when? why are you going with Blanco? Um, he reminds me of somebody at work. OK, <laughs> we're not going to mention who. Now, um, is it going to go to three boats or are you going to wipe him out in two? Um... If I have a bit of mercy on me, I may let it stretch to free, yes.
0: Okay, then! And then to make matters worse, he picks Zangief, who is the slowest character and is not the fighter that he needs at this point. No, no, to be fair, he goes with the bear from Mother Russia,
5: and his logic behind it is actually fairly sound, which is, I'm probably going to lose, so I'm going to choose the tank who can take the most damage. It is a valid strategy... And it does, I guess, prolong the bout a little bit longer—the
0: second bout, at the very least. We'll get to the second <laughs> bout,
5: but no, I can see his logic behind that. And also, we find that there's a rule that I don't think we'd been previously made aware of, which is no
0: repeats. Which I think is—I think is smart. I think that's very nice so yeah paul is playing as zangief he can take a lot of punishment while gary is playing as blanker because he reminds him of someone from work which i bet is jazz rignall
5: with that hair absolutely good to see an outing for the brazilian
0: bombshell though absolutely he says that he may give him mercy and let this go to three rounds and i did love like dominic says you're the outsider in this and paul knows his lot in this match where he says the only way i'm going to win is if i unplug his controller he should have tried it
5: it's again it's a tactic we've never had it tested on Games Master as to whether they'd allow it. I reckon for this challenge they would if he just suddenly reached forward and gone, punk.
4: And joining me for the grand final is Keith Pullen from the Nintendo Hotline. Welcome back, Keith.
5: Hello, Dominic. Great to be back.
4: Right, now we've got a great fighting prospect here, Zangief against Blanka. What can Blanka do? Well, Blanka's got a very effective move. It's the um, electric move which can channel up to 1,000 volts through his skin. So you don't want to so get near him then, you do you? You definitely
0: don't, know. Keith Pullen from Nintendo Hotline is in the booth to talk about Blanka's electric move move because if you press down using the light punch is the best way to to get the electric move going but yeah like that was kind of like one of the big things from street fighter because it was a really simple move that anyone could do the electric shock
5: the hundred hand slap and chun Li's uh, multiple kick those were the moves you could do by button mashing essentially both had their vulnerabilities both had their advantages it's interesting he doesn't mention some of blanca's Other signature moves, for example, the cannonball, but also his kind of spinning back kick he does, kind of the somersault kick, which has an immense reach on it and is a really effective way of knocking your opponent back. Again, we're still at the
0: early stages of Street Fighter. A lot is being explained here because people aren't familiar with it. And the cannonballs come into play right at the start here because... I mean, Gary knows what he is doing. He knows his charge moves. He's already throwing cannonballs out because he's been holding back and charging that to release as the fight gets announced. Uh, And he just keeps doing them. Although Keith does not know what they're called, starts biting Zangief and gets... A perfect first round. A perfect first round with 74
5: seconds left on the clock. He absolutely demolished him. Paul must just be sinking into his seat, wondering if the pubs are still open at this point.
0: (laughs) The second round is way more competitive. Um, Blanca does his electric move and Paul, like an idiot, jumps into it. Doesn't fall for that the second time round, though. And Zangief starts making a comeback because he has found his tactic, which is throw that hard punch because that hard punch can do a lot of damage and as long as Blanca keeps jumping into it, he will knock his health down.
5: It is an effective move, but honestly, Gary is letting him get these hits in. Yeah. Having seen how Gary played in that first round and indeed in the qualifying match for this final, there is no reason other than the joypad being unplugged why any of these hits should have landed. Yeah. Just none at all. He's milking it a little bit maybe just trying to make sure it's a bit more of an interesting fight to watch. But after obliterating him so quickly in round one, it
0: does stick out like a sore thumb. It does, but I will give him some credit for doing that though, because it does make for a more entertaining second round than if he'd have just demolished him again and got another perfect run.
5: And in fairness, the strong punches almost work. Paul... Gets him right down to the last sliver of energy, and then Gary just goes poik, poik <laughs> low kick, done.
4: Well, Lord Paul, it took you a little while to get going there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, a bit of a nightmare. I, I got the wrong geezer, really. I needed a bit of speed, and I was lumbered with a fat Russian. <gasps> All right, now, Gary, I mean, tonking star. I mean, full energy in the first fight, then things started to slip a bit. What, were you toying with this, man? Um, well, I did
0: feel very sorry for him after the first round, and I let me guard slip, but... Uh... I had him still. Uh, Paul says that he picked the wrong geezer. He should have picked someone quicker, but ended up with a fat Russian. He's not fat. He's husky. He's a mountain man. He is. He's a mountain of a man. And Gary says he felt sorry for him in that first round. So he let his guard down a little bit in that second round. Uh, but he's our winner. He's our multi format magazine champion. And he walks away with the golden joystick. And straight down the pub.
4: <laughs> well, we've come to the end of our Christmas show. And you know, Christmas on an oil rig is jolly miserable. We're miles away from all those we know and love, and all we've got is Auntie Maurice's sausage wrapped in bacon for comfort. So what I thought we'd do tonight is have a little bit of a Christmas carol sing-along. So I'll begin, and let's hope our lovely audience joins in up there. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him on the
5: King of Angels.
4: Well, we're off now, but may peace descend upon all your homes this Yuletide season. And don't forget the Christmas spirit. Be nice to your elders, eat your greens, and most of all, Christmas is forgiving.
0: Good night. So now we get the end of the episode where Dominic says that Christmas is a miserable time on the rig. They've only got Auntie Marisha's sausage wrapped in bacon for comfort. So he sets up a Christmas carol and they all start singing, O Come All Ye Faithful. And I was waiting for there to be a punchline to this. But there isn't. It's just a lovely, wholesome way to round off this Christmas Eve episode in 1992. And Dominic says, be nice to your elders, eat your greens, and don't forget that Christmas is forgiving.
5: And he walks off hand in hand with the diver. And there's people in the audience with candles that are clearly members of the crew because one, they're adults with candles, not children. And two, at least two of them are dressed for a night on the tiles. (laughs) Like There is one there that looks like she just walked off the set atop of the Pops. Yeah. Now, you say there was no punchline. I thought the Carol choice was the punchline because come. Um, Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 maybe. (laughs) But I was waiting, and particularly through Dominic's monologue, I was waiting for the punchline. I was waiting for a diamondism or a double entendre, and there wasn't, and I was actually fine with that. Because you know what? I'm not a religious person. I do like Christmas, though, as the season and the idea of giving. And I do like a bit of a Christmas carol sing-along. And that entire oil rig full of kids and adults singing Oh Come All Ye Faithful without any musical backing. Really, really nice. It made the hairs on the back of my neck go. It was a beautifully executed moment. Strangely sentimental, but I dug it. it.
0: It felt Christmassy. It was the most Christmassy part of the entire episode. Could not agree more. An incredibly wholesome way to finish off this episode. And yeah, did make me feel super christmassy we talked about how last week's episode made us feel very christmassy this one right here made me go like oh i cannot wait to put the christmas decorations up you could
5: start now no one will know (laughs) (laughs) it's not like you're having people around anytime
0: soon i suppose not (laughs) really freak out my neighbors how long was i asleep (laughs) well that is episode 13 of series 2 the halfway point of series 2 ash what did you make of it i love this episode Challenges were
5: fine. Bob Holness was a legend. Even if they weren't amazing in gameplay skill, they were fun. They were fine. We had three joystick winners. We had an okay review section. The action replay Game Genie stuff was cool enough. And at least two of the helicopter games were good, the last of which was groundbreaking. So it was lovely mm-hmm. to see that. Consultation Zone. There's at least a couple of games there. Kids would have got that Christmas. Super Soccer. Zelda. And also, someone's name would have got them Robocod. Probably. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I really, really enjoyed this episode. It was a very, very fun Christmas episode of the show. While, like, Santa's Christmas Caper is not a particularly great game, I thought that it was on theme and on brand, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Bob Holness was so, so good on this show. Loved the final challenge. I've actually really enjoyed the Street Fighter 2 mini tournament that they've had, and Yeah, while I wasn't much fussed about the review zone, at least some of the games were good. The consultation though was fun. I thought this was a really, really good episode. I don't think it's in nineties, but I do think it is in that eighty percent bracket. See, this is a rare
5: occasion I think where I am going to completely disagree with you because for me, it does get a ninety percent
0: purely for the festive flurry. I see. I was going high eighties. I was going to eighty-eight. Ah. Gonna you know, see some serious. Sh- <laughs> but no, if it had just
5: been a regular episode, not Christmas, I'd have probably gone eighty to eighty-five, maybe, or in the same sort of bracket as last week, which was seventy-five. Maybe seventy-five to eighty-five, somewhere in there. Mm. But the festive theming, the giant hat on Gamesmaster, and that closing segment just being so pure and wholesome pushes it up. And so, yeah, 90% for me.
0: That is absolutely fair enough. A great assessment of this show. Thank you all so much for listening. We are out of time for this episode. If you want to find us on the old social media channels, we are at underconsolepod pod on Twitter and on Instagram under dot console. And you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod to get next week's episode, which will be the new year's special a week early and ad free. Where Games Master, spoilers, has a different hat
5: (laughs) but she's got a new hat
0: lots of haberdashery
5: (laughs) if you want to go a little bit further than that five pound mark of getting the episodes a week early and ad free you can go for the ten pound level where you also get those episodes plus a merch pack which will include mug stickers badges
0: sweets and a discount voucher for our upcoming T shirt. And there's a link in the show notes for our Discord server. We're having a lot of really good chat there about Games Master and gaming in general. It's just a good place to come and chat with new friends. Indeed. Lovely,
5: lovely small building community there. We were even talking about the PS5 launch and kept it mostly respectful. Yes. Which I think is the best you can ask for on any form of internet social media
0: these days. (laughs) But that is all we've got time for here. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care. Good night.